Hello, welcome to the Comprehensive Canadian University Guide, where we invite admissions officers and students from various universities across Canada and provide helpful tips for prospective students. This series will be formatted through discussions with our guests, where we present some frequently asked questions to shed a spotlight onto a variety of schools and programs. If you like this episode, please rate and share us on iTunes and follow us at CCUG Podcast on Instagram. Just a disclaimer, we're not associated with any of the universities, institutions, or programs featured on our podcast. This content is accurate as of September 25th, 2020, and is only applicable for the 2020-21 academic school year. We do not take any responsibility for future changes in admission protocols. Hi there, you're listening to the Comprehensive Canadian University Guide. I'm Josh. I'm Vansh. And today we're joined with three guests from Western's Ivy School of Business. So could you guys please introduce yourselves? Sure, I can go ahead. So my name is Hilary Potts. I'm the recruiting manager for the HBA program at Ivy Business School at Western. And my name is Chris Smith. I'm the senior liaison officer for undergraduate recruitment and admissions at all of Western University. I'm Gabrielle and I'm an HBA2, which means that I'm in my fourth year of school at the Ivy School of Business. Fantastic. So our first question for the introduction section is, uh, Gabrielle, how did you specifically decide that you wanted to study business for uh, your undergrad? I decided to do business for my undergrad, uh, mainly because I was really involved in case competitions in high school. Uh, It always interested me, especially talking about at the dinner table with my parents and hearing lots of great things from the individuals that went to university for business. I was really drawn to that community aspect and all of the group projects that they talked about and really enjoyed doing altogether. Awesome. So the next question goes to you, Hillary. Could you just start off by explaining the structure of the IVHBA program and maybe compare and contrast the AEO versus the university entrance? Sure. So as you mentioned, Uh, There's two different ways of coming into the HBA program. It is a second entry program, meaning that uh, you are going to study for year one and two in a different program prior to HBA. It's totally up to the student which program they choose to pursue in years one and two. How they can go about that is applying for advanced entry opportunity, which is the conditional pre-admission offer that they would have prior to HBA. It essentially holds a spot in the program for you. Students with AEO do, however, need to meet their progression requirements over year one and two. That's something that grade 12 students can apply for when they're leaving high school. It is a supplementary application. So with or without that status, you might end up at Western, and at the end of second year, you would transfer into the HBA program for years three and four. If you didn't have AEO status, you would apply at the end of second year, and that would be an applicant pool that it is competitive, Um, However, it's perfectly plausible to go into the HBA program without having AEO status. It's certainly not a closed door, but definitely it helps to have that status coming out of high school. And uh, the next question is, what are some common examples as programs that students may come from or field students may have studied before going into Ivy? And do students get put at a disadvantage if they take an unrelated second degree outside of business? Okay, good question. So, In the first two years, we really do want students to explore an interest area that they're passionate about, that they're going to feel motivated by. If this is a business-related program for you, that might put them into the BMOS program. Um, They would be taking business-related courses in year one and two. Uh, You could do this on main campus or one of three affiliates here on Brescia or Kings. 
They could be in anything from political science to psychology, media information studies, engineering, computer science, international relations, you name it. We definitely want that mix in year one and two. It really helps the case methods study uh, really thrive in the classroom because you have such a great variety of students' backgrounds that really come to life in an HBA class. So we don't have a preference for which program you do in year one and two. We do see a lot of students coming out of programs like medical sciences, BMOS, economics, engineering. Um, and I think that's great. You know, we definitely, um, attract a lot of students that have been interested in business since high school and maybe they're looking for a program that they feel would pair really well with HBA. However, we also attract a lot of students that, uh, you know, they're developing their interests as they go and they see the first two years as a great opportunity to test out a different area, potentially do a combined degree, which would take five years, or maybe just stick with HBA for four years. Awesome. Yeah. So the next question goes to you, Chris. Within Western, how large is the Ivy School of Business and are there cohorts within Ivy classes? So as far as the size of the class, the HBA 1 class is about 610 students. So between HBA 1 and 2, you're looking at just about over 1,200 students in total. There is cohorting the students, but that doesn't occur until they get to the HBA program. So as Hillary mentioned, it is a 2 plus 2 program. So those first two years, you're not going to be in a cohort. Then you're going to be in an area of study that you get to choose um, before you move on to Ivy. Now, once you get into Ivy, there is a cohort um, way of teaching. I'll let um, Hillary talk a little bit about how they break those classes up and what the size of those would look like. Sure. So that's something I probably could have touched on before, but now is as good as opportunity as any. Um, with respect to the cohort, so the first year is a foundation timetable. You would be in a section experience. So for that, we've got about 75, 76 students per section. Gabrielle, as a current student having finished now HBA1, she could certainly talk more about that learning environment and the impact of your section mates. Um, that first year, as I mentioned, it is a foundation timetable. So everyone, they're completing the same courses as the whole uh, 610 or so students in HBA1. The second year of Ivy, you have elective opportunities. Um, I know the question before was with regards to whether their students might be at a disadvantage or better or less prepared coming in. Uh, really, I think that the diversity of all of the different backgrounds prior to HBA1, that really is such a benefit to the classes. Uh, I think, you know, as I mentioned, a lot of students might come out of BMOS and be more familiar with concepts or terms in the first couple of weeks. But after that, it is really new for everyone just because of the learning style. Um, so with those two years, that would be the full program. You are completing the same number of credits as you would in a four-year business degree. Of course, if you're sticking back for a combined degree, that's that fifth year. Um, but the cohort, as Chris mentioned, is really just in the first year of Ivy. And I just want to touch on something uh, Hillary sort of mentioned there about um, if you're in a disadvantage for studying one subject or another. One of the great advantages of Western is the flexibility of those first two years. So just because you start off in the Faculty of Social Science as a first year student, if you decide to do a combined degree, um, you know, in actuarial science and Ivy, and you wanna go over to the Faculty of Science and get the BSc, that's still open to you. So really, those first couple of years, I look at it as an advantage to have that flexibility, to not be stuck in a narrow path, um, and to be able to change your mind um, as you pursue new interests and as you learn new concepts at the university level. Awesome. and. The last question for the introduction section is, how has the university responded to the COVID-19 pandemic and how is it affecting current Western University students? So at Western, we 
had the entire summer, luckily, to prepare for what we're calling a mixed model of delivery. Uh, school did end uh, pretty abruptly for you folks in high school. Uh, for us at Western, around March, we transitioned very, very rapidly to an online way of teaching. What we've done over the summer is we've put a lot of resources into making sure that a lot of our uh, first-year courses, especially a lot of the larger courses, are uh, put together very well online. We've hired about 12 instructional designers to help pump up those courses to try to make sure that they're interactive, that they're engaging if they are being taught in that um, online model, which uh, the majority of our classes are. Uh, we do have some in-person components. So for instance, if you are on campus and you are a chemistry student, you have the ability to do a chemistry lab, or you can choose to do it virtually. And that's the big thing we focused on for this year is giving students the flexibility of deciding what model of learning they are comfortable with, whether that is an in-person uh, way of learning or whether that is a virtual way of learning. We've committed to students that uh, no matter which format you start the year in, we're going to, you'll be able to finish the year off in that format. So if conditions approve in the winter term, you won't be required to come back to campus. Uh, you'll be able to do everything online. The other thing we've um, done in addition to trying to improve the way that we're teaching courses online for all of our undergraduate courses is we've spent a lot of effort um, in July and August in making sure that the first year incoming students were prepared for university. I'd mentioned that uh, the high school year was uh, truncated shortly, um, a little early. One thing we did was we created uh, some grade 12 uh, STEM related programs in subjects such as biology, physics, the calculus, so that students in the month of August could take an online course to sort of repeat some of those core ideas they learned in grade 12. We also tried to bring students into the campus as much as possible throughout the month of August to start fostering um, in-person peer connections, recognizing that not all students will be able to come here for an in-person experience for the upcoming year. Um, and that is one thing we're very conscious about. That in-person experience is something a lot of people choose university four and we're trying to do our best to make sure that um, we're able to replicate that in-person experience to students no matter if they're um, in town learning virtually if they're anywhere across the world if they're in different time zones we're trying to make sure that we're giving that first year experience to, to all different students for sure so now we'll move on to the next section in the episode focusing on academics so first question in this section goes to gabrielle a lot of AEO applicants feel that the first two years uh, that don't focus in business are kind of detrimental to their overall business education. So have you or your friends ever felt ill-prepared or left behind uh, once you actually get into the Ivy School of Business? Great question. I would say that the professors really make sure that they start from a ground level so that nobody feels disadvantaged and everyone can catch up and be ready for what you're going to learn. So everyone learns something new especially in that first semester it feels like every day you're just building on what you learned the day before but the professors and your peers are really there to help you as well a lot of my friends were in uh, different uh, different uh, programs in their first two years so for example some of my friends were in engineering and it really helped when we came to certain cases where coming from a bmos background so when i was more focused on finance and accounting i actually couldn't contribute as much to when we were talking about how to build a building because they actually knew how to execute that as well when we talk about some cases on uh, medicine some of the health science or medical science students could really contribute a lot to that discussion and make it a more well-rounded discussion and 
you really learn a lot from everyone else in the class as it is a case-based program. So when you're in different programs for your first two years, the others can learn from you as well. Perfect. And as a follow-up, uh, Hillary, what do you have to say to those AEO applicants who are a bit worried that they won't actually get a solid business education for the first two years? Yeah, so I definitely see that group every year in terms of being in your first year AEO and AEO2. And then you have a whole other group of those students with AEO and maybe without that are in programs where they're not really exposed to business-related topics and they're not really thinking about it. They don't have a concern. They're just happy to be in their program and enjoy that prior to HBA. So I think what that comes down to is that it is a matter of fit in terms of our program and the second entry nature of it. Um, Others might prefer a more traditional route. Uh, If you see the two plus two and it makes you really excited about pairing two seemingly different areas, then that could uh, really spark a student's interest in the HBA program. I think one of the things that I feel students are comfortable to hear is that We don't look for an internship or employment experience or uh, sort of an expertise in business prior to HBA. If they develop an interest area and they've had that for a long time, then that's fantastic. Um, And then we have a lot of students as well that they just don't have that background prior to HBA and we need both groups. So um, it really is a nice mix. Uh, I think the other thing I would add too is right away when students are looking at the AEO application, they can kind of get the sense that we care about extracurriculars, we care about academics, that we're looking for well-rounded students. So I hope that that message is really instilled in even the early days of considering the program and what we're looking for you to do in year one and two. Getting into some more of the specifics, which courses do IV students take during HBA in both years one and two? And how much flexibility is there with electives in comparison to, let's say, a four-year business degree? Okay, so maybe I can speak to that just from a very kind of nuts and bolts perspective. And then if Gabrielle wants to jump in in terms of electives and uh, the differences she sees in year one and two at Ivy. So in year one, as I mentioned, it is the foundation timetable. They will get exposure to financial fundamentals, strategy, communications, operations, decision-making with analytics. There will be learning through action opportunities. Um, there's others that I think I'm forgetting to mention finance Um, and that first year serves as a really great foundation for students then to go okay what do I want to focus on what what project do I want to do Um, what optional case competitions do I want to be part of Uh, where do I want to do my internship what clubs do I want to join what faculty do I want to get to know better in their research Um, and they really can kind of branch out from there so being receptive is a huge asset coming into the program Second year, they do have elective opportunities as well as some required courses. So that's an opportunity where students are going to really be able to flex that, um, that you know, finance muscle or really focus on accounting or say that they want to pursue analytics or getting into entrepreneurship, consulting, marketing, um, and really be able to kind of further fine tune their, their specialty that they hope to be recognized for upon graduating and um, and, and yeah, be more specific, I would say. Gabrielle probably could touch on what year two looks like and maybe insight for year one as well. For sure. So everyone in year one takes the same courses and it's a great way to get a really broad view of possible classes that you'd be interested in for your second year in Ivy. Uh, so in my first year, I really enjoyed my finance classes. So most of my electives this year coming up are more finance based and a little bit more quantitative. 
However, a lot of my friends have gone the complete opposite route and have taken mostly qualitative classes. Uh, but there's three mandatory classes, including corporations and society, as well as global macroeconomics. And the last mandatory class is a, a accounting course. Then the electives that you take are based on your schedule, what fits and what you're interested in. So I'm really looking forward to some of my raising capital classes and my mergers and acquisitions classes, but a really broad uh, amount of courses to choose from. So it's really exciting going into this year. And right back to you, Gabrielle. How is your transition uh, into Ivy for third year? Uh, did you find that there was any difficulty in making new friends or adjusting to the new course material? I would say transitioning into any course, for sure, there's going to be a huge adjustment just based on, you know, a new way of learning. I really love the case-based method. So in my first year, I took business 1220 and in second year, took business 2257, which is one of the required courses before Ivy. So I really got an intro to how the, the case-based classes were run, uh, but every class is mostly like that. So that's a little bit different than just sitting in lecture, uh, trying to learn from the professor that way. Uh, as well, is starting this year, there's a lot more mentorship programs. So the HBAA is starting a new mentorship program that helps AEOs and non-AEOs in first and second year transition into their HBA one year. So we're pairing up students to make sure that if they have any questions at any time, they can ask uh, some HBAs who have already been through that. So I think just creating these new mentorship opportunities really helps the students out. As well, there's a lot of club opportunities. So joining those clubs, you can meet more people uh, in the fields that you're interested in, and that can help with careers or just for interest base as well. And how did you find the workload for Ivy compared to say your secondary degree or to high school? Uh, well, it's different than high school for sure, just because it is uh, your third year of university. So they expect a lot more of you in terms of working hard and staying on top of it uh, without necessarily managing what you do outside of class. Uh, but I think that with the professor's help, as well as your peers, you're able to get everything done that you need to for class. You really learn how to manage your time well, for sure, because it's really important to join clubs and be a part of the community as a whole. So I think if you're able to balance that as well as your classes, you'll have a really great experience. It's definitely different uh, to complete all of your cases prior to the class and then come into class ready to learn more and then review after. So you just have to allocate uh, your time wisely there just in terms of where you want to spend the most amount of time. Awesome. So Hillary, could you just briefly touch on what Ivy's case-based system is and what are Ivy's 24 and 48 hour reports and how do they work? Awesome. So definitely infamous for the 48-hour reports. Um, so case-based learning, it is very much applied. You have a real-life business situation that truly has unfolded in a workplace that then becomes a scenario in a classroom setting that matches that particular course topic and the faculty's area of expertise. And then you've got all these students, whether it's a first-year section with, you know, 75-plus students or maybe it's a smaller class in your second year of IB. It very much is an opportunity to put yourself in the shoes of the decision maker and think of yourself as the protagonist in the case with various 
uh, facts available. Um, a lot of information might not be available, so you have to draw implications, but still feel comfortable making a decision and then defending that decision making. You have lively conversation in a classroom setting, which I'm sure Gabrielle can speak to. You've got so many different backgrounds represented, so everyone will be able to contribute different perspectives, which makes it really neat. You, in that first year, you have three classes a day. They're 80-minute blocks. You go from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. It's definitely very set. When it comes to the 48-hour reports, that is an opportunity for students to work in a team. The first one, I don't know if many students' first 48-hour report goes the, smooth, the smoothest that they had in mind, um, but it is a really great opportunity to work with others and challenge yourself. Sometimes you can't work on an area that you're very well versed in. Sometimes it has to be an area that's new to you, so you're learning on the fly. You do have 48 hours. Typically, you're given a problem on a Wednesday. You would present or submit a report, for example, on a Friday. Uh, we encourage sleep, certainly. It's not something that you're supposed to you know, withdraw from all other areas of your life. But I think it really is sort of one of those experiences where students look back fondly on, not just because they would have had the best outcome that they, they hoped for, but I think really because you build those friendships, you have those relationships with your peers, um, and you really prove to yourself you're able to make decisions and come up with a whole lot of information to back that up in a relatively short period of time. So case method happens in the classroom. It also happens outside of the classroom. Ivy is definitely all about experiential learning in whichever way that takes form. The 48-hour reports were a lot of fun. They definitely push you to the limits. Uh, I think that's definitely the point of the 48-hour reports, to work under stress and work with different individuals that you usually wouldn't work with. It's really awesome because in my HBA one year, I got to work with almost everybody in my section. So I was able to create those bonds uh, outside of the classroom as well. But like Hillary said, they don't expect you to just stay up for 40 hour, 48 hours and not sleep. We definitely all got some sleep and we even got to go to our uh, athletic practices and some people went to work out and we had a few great breaks as a team where we all went and got food together. But I would say it's definitely a difficult time when you have a group of six to eight people and you're trying to make one decision in such a short period of time. But I think it was really helpful for me, especially going into the summer, because I was able to apply some of those quick decision-making skills that I learned during the 48-hour reports in real life. So I could use the 48-hour reports to kind of test out uh, frameworks for making decisions, and then I could use that in my summer job as well. Awesome. So now we have a couple of questions from followers on our Instagram page. The first one comes to us from Kairov who asked, is it possible to cater your HBA degree specifically towards something like accounting? Yes, so we are accredited towards um, students receiving their CPA designation um, after the program, but they are able to work towards that in the program. So they could take a number of electives that are accounting focused in their second year of Ivy. And then after the program, they would stay back to complete the 13-week graduate diploma. They'll have a pod of students that are all staying back to complete that. And it is an intensive 13-week program, but you are moving through a number of the modules that would be part of that uh, designation. And then you are more than halfway there to um, really just needing to then complete the final examination towards your CPA. You would still require that work experience, but... Uh, I think employers like it because you're not necessarily taking the same time away in order to study and go through those modules 
um, if you hadn't done the graduate diploma following the program. That really is the only stream that we have very specifically that a student would kind of put themselves in. Otherwise, you're becoming more specialized by way of choices that you make in terms of your interest areas. For sure. And the next question uh, also comes to us from an Instagram follower, Allison. So she asked if you could just briefly touch on HBA's uh, JD dual degree program. Sure. So we do offer a combined degree for the JD and HBA program. It would be six years, which I know sounds like an awful long time, but, um, you know, it's a really great opportunity for students to take a year off of law school. It's the positive spin, I guess you could put on it. Um, and have your JD and your HBA at the end of six years. Whether someone were to go into practicing law and have a really solid background in business, or whether they go into business and they can maybe have that wherewithal of um, you know, operating in more of a legal capacity, I think there's different ways that students would combine business and law. It is, I believe, our oldest along there with engineering in terms of the combined degree offerings. You would be doing the law, uh, the law school program at the Faculty of Law at Western. So it's definitely something that's partnered um, with the law faculty at Western. I recommend to students that they write their LSAT uh, examination prior to HBA, just because your first year of HBA is a really busy year. Not to say that you can't write it in your first year, or again, for example, um, if you wanted to really see how well you could do. But I think just that time in the summer, let's say, between your second year of university and before first year of Ivy, third year, is a nice chance to really focus on writing the LSAT. So yes, absolutely. It's six years. Uh, it's a combined degree. We do offer that um, partnership with the Faculty of Law. And uh, we have a number of students that also do that in the MBA program as well. So um, HBA as well as MBA both offer that. And really quickly, what is the structure for the JD HBA double degree? So the structure specifically for JD and HBA, your first year of Ivy remains a foundation timetable. Second year now becomes your entire first year of law. And then years five and six are split between law and Ivy. So those two years, uh, it's not full time each program. It's about half and half so that you can manage law and Ivy in both years five and six. And then you have two dedicated years in year three and four, one to Ivy and one to law. Perfect. And now we'll move on to the next section in the episode focusing on extracurriculars and student life. So our first question is, what is student culture like at Ivy and also in more broadly at Western? I can speak to this one. Uh, just being with the fellow students for a long time, every single day, uh, I can say that I've always felt really welcome. So even if I'm not with the individuals that are going into the same field into the future as me, or if they are really focused on uh, different extracurriculars, we've always found ways to get along. And, you know, it's quite easy to make friends when you're in the classroom with everyone, building those connections. Uh, when you're building on each other's points during cases and then after the class when people used to go out and eat together <laughs> before Corona. But I know now there's a lot of virtual uh, opportunities for students to get to know each other. Uh, I'm an OWL, which is an orientation week leader. And we put on a lot of programming to ensure that the students actually get that connection, even though it is virtual right now so that they're able to meet other students and build those lifelong friendships that we've seen. And especially with joining all the extracurriculars, you can get to know individuals that are interested in the same things that you are as well. 
All right. So our next question is, what is the social scene like at Western? And for someone who might not be into the stereotypically party culture at the university, is there still room to have a healthy social life? Western is a big institution. We have over 40,000 students at our university. We do have um, one of the highest entering averages for students in Ontario at over 90%. So the students that get in are academically uh, very, very smart. They've earned their spot to get into the university. That said, when you have 40,000 people, there are going to be a few of them that want to party. Um, it doesn't really matter what sort of um, college, a university, a town you're in. When you have that size of a population, there will be um, some folks uh, that, do, that do like to enjoy themselves. And we are in a small university town. So uh, part of, I think, London's reputation is the fact that um, being in a small town of you know, 380,000 people, having 40,000 students in that population really amplifies a lot of the... Um, the reputation and some some of the stories you may may have said so i think the big thing i want to emphasize is that we we have a high quality student body they have high academic averages to get in um parties are anywhere you can find them anywhere that you go uh but at western um our students um i like to think do act as maturely and as uh, responsibly as the student at any other ontario uh university also, to add on to that, there's lots of different opportunities for students to get involved in the school or in the community. So just speaking specifically to Western, there's over 200 different clubs that are run out of the University Student Council. As well, when you're in Ivy, you can join the HBA clubs. And so there's over uh, 36 Ivy clubs as well. And you can join both Western clubs and Ivy clubs. So that's enough to keep you busy for sure. Uh, as well, there's 46 different varsity teams, so lots of different opportunities to stay busy while also making sure that you do your schoolwork. And I think one of the things that sort of speaks, when I said we have a very smart student body, one of the things that um, speaks to their success is the fact that 93% of students in the start in first year will make it through to the second year. Um, so we're not seeing a large high drop off or a churn um, or a turnover of those first year students, which if they weren't academically successful, you would see it, you see a much higher rate. Our rates of retention are much higher than the Ontario average. So I think that's a good indicator um, about the fact that academics are an important part of our school experience at Western. And for Ivy for that, I've heard, you know, different years, it's as high as 98 to 99% that enter the program complete it and proceed to graduating from HBA. Perfect. Yeah. So next question, uh, back to you, Gabrielle. What was your experience on residence and on campus at Western? So in my first year, I stayed in Essex Hall, which is one of the suite styled residents. So that means that I had my own bedroom and I shared a bathroom with one other girl. And then we shared a common area. So like a living room and a kitchen with two other girls. So there's four of us in the whole suite. Uh, it was really awesome because I knew one of them going in, but met the other two when I got to school. So it was a lot of fun to still have my own space to go back to, but I really got to meet the others in the suite. And then also you get to meet the others on your floor because you have softs, which are basically your upper year friends that give you advice and help you out whenever you need it. And they live on your floor and they plan a bunch of really fun events. So we got to play inner tube water polo which was so much fun we played it as a floor. So lots of really good bonding opportunities uh, just with those individuals. 
And then after my first year, I moved off campus into an apartment. Uh, and there's a lot of student housing really close to campus. Uh, so generally, people can just walk to their classes or take the bus. So for students coming to Western from out of province, do you find that they have difficulty adjusting to life in London? So I'm from Alberta. Uh, I'm from Calgary. And I would say the adjustment was definitely, you know, getting new furniture, trying to move in and getting all my stuff on the plane. For sure, that was a challenge. But I think coming here, you have a really good support system that starts out in the residence with your softs and the RAs. And then you get to meet people pretty quickly because you have orientation week right when you get there. So you're kind of forced into making friends right away, which is pretty awesome uh, for that. But when you're moving across the country, there's some challenges with when some of your friends can go home for the weekend, you may not necessarily be able to. But I was able to actually go to some of my friends' houses within Ontario or just stay here and join other clubs and, you know, take advantage of what London has to offer as well. And I think from an institutional perspective, trying to have as diverse of a student body is a priority at Western. So that's um, students from different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, but it's also geographic. So we try to make sure that we're having students from outside of Ontario and then also from outside of Canada. And I think about 12% of our student body at the moment is from outside of Ontario. We also have an out-of-province student association. So when students, uh, Gabrielle mentioned packing, so before students even arrive on campus, they've been in contact with their out-of-province student association about things such as packing tips. And we're also giving um, students, uh, some students from out-of-province, if they're receiving aid, we'll give them $1,000 every year to help pay for their sort of travel back and forth. Awesome. And so the last question now for this section is, what are some common extracurriculars that students in IV are a part of? And which extracurriculars have you been involved with personally? So I would say the common extracurriculars really depends on what you're interested in. So there's a lot of IV extracurriculars that are geared towards helping you recruit for summer positions or full-time positions. As well, there's some interest-based clubs. I co-founded with one of my friends, the Ivy Book Club. So we're looking to make this more of an interest-based club and get people back into their love of reading. So there's a lot of different clubs that you can get involved in just with the HBAA. As well, uh, as I mentioned, you can join clubs at the USC. So they have a wide range of clubs from the Western Investment Club all the way to Western Coffee Club. So definitely a lot of fun and you can find whatever you're looking for. And if you can't, you can actually start your own club. As well, uh, I'm on the track and field team. So that takes up some of my time as well. And it's lots of fun to spend the time outside for right now, uh, just training with the team. And there are a lot of different clubs that are run out of the rec center as well. So the triathlon club, as well as a few other uh, clubs to stay active and, you know, meet some more people at the university. If I could just add to what Gabrielle's saying from a recruitment and admissions perspective, I think a lot of students will be part of clubs like it could be Western Investment Club or PBSN, which is the pre-business students network, it could be a marketing association. Um, and that's great if they want to be part of clubs that have that business focus. And then some students, they won't be part of those clubs. So it really just, it's up to the students. It's their choice. Some might look at those clubs as opportunities to also learn about some employment, internship opportunities in the summer. 
same as what Gabrielle's been saying, you know, it, it really is up to the student and they will enjoy what they're involved in way more if it's something they are genuinely, legitimately, truly interested in. Um, and that will show through definitely in when they're telling us about their extracurriculars. Perfect. So now we'll move on to the next segment in the episode, focusing on student support and co-op. So what kinds of support are in place for students who need some assistance with their mental health? So I think at Western, we've uh, recognized, like many other institutions, that many students do struggle with that transition from high school uh, to university. I'd mentioned before, we put a, this year, we put a lot of effort into that August programming, the peer connections, the, the grade 12 sort of placement courses. Part of that is because um, some of our research that we've done and research been done in general has shown that the first few weeks of university, that transition in September and the beginning of October, those six weeks are vital to the transition and to the success of a university student. Um, we put a lot of effort. You heard a little bit about our soft programming earlier, those upper year students that if you live in residence will be your friends. If you don't live in residence, we also uh, have off campus softs. So at Western, we really try to make sure that as soon as you hit the ground on that Labor Day weekend that you move into Western, that you will be surrounded by a whole ecosystem of supports. If you're living in residence, that's going to be those softs. It's going to be the residence advisors. It's going to be your dons. But then you're also going to have those softs in your faculty. So in addition to having someone I can speak to that lives two doors down from me in residence, I can go and meet with someone from my, if I'm the faculty of science, I can speak with another student in upper years who has gone through those first year courses. Those are all peer, that what I've mentioned is all peer assisted um, support. In addition to that, we're um, also very big on wellness at Western. We have a wellness center. We just announced about $9.2 million for the new PARTH Center for Thriving. Um, wellness at Western and thriving um, isn't just around mental health though. We take a holistic approach to it uh, so that we believe wellness is financial wellness. It is physical wellness. It is uh, wellnesses in your mental health, in your relationships with others, in your nutrition. Um, and so a lot of those, a lot of those resources are there right at the beginning. And, and that's the risk sort of period, that transition. But then after uh, those first few weeks, those resources continue uh, from first year all the way to graduation. We have student health services where you can make an appointment with a medical provider. If uh, you refer, need further care, they can then refer you off to other supports either on campus or within the community. For Ivy, as you transfer um, or transition rather into the HBA program, we have a number of supports in place from academic advisors and examination support that could be within the program office as well. There's peer support um, through the HBAA, the Student Association. There will be various efforts um, and initiatives that roll out each year. As Chris mentioned, you know, the first start to the school year, definitely as a first year student, um, there's a lot going on. And even still, when you enter into Ivy and it's year three, you're still balancing your, your social life, your academics. You want to feel like you have that balance. I think that's when students really find success and, and, and find that things are more manageable when you have that balance. When you start at Western, let's say you have AEO status um, or you don't have AEO status, but you're looking to pursue the HBA program at Ivy, we do want to see extracurricular involvement. That being said, we don't want you to stress out about it to the point where you're looking for the same leadership opportunities or titles, let's say, that you had in high school, now entering 
a large campus, a whole new community. Um, be reasonable with yourself in terms of just being involved in things that you truly enjoy and looking for leadership through um, not necessarily a position title, but maybe just taking on additional responsibility, um, very naturally going through uh, the process of getting to know about clubs and different organizations and things in the community too, and just gradually taking on um, different roles, I think, uh, within your extracurricular. So we definitely emphasize that balance. And then I think that students really, um, that sticks with them and it really helps them thrive once they come into the H grade program as well. All right. So our next question is, since students don't officially start learning the business curriculum until third year, how difficult is it for students to find jobs in the industry in their first couple of years at Western? So um, I can speak about the first first couple of years. So at Western, we have a entire careers and experience uh, team. They bring in hundreds of employers to the campus every year. They run two major uh, large events, and this, this is for students from any program. And I always encourage students to start thinking about your career almost as soon as you start at the university. So we bring all those different employers in. They host things like information sessions, recruiting sessions. So if you want to sit down with um, a recruiter, you know, from one of the accounting firms, they'll be on campus as that touch point. They run two large fairs every year. They run a, a job fair. The job fair is going to be more focused on your summer positions. So um, a job job fairs in the title. Um, that's for the summer positions between years of university. They also run a career fair. It's never too uh, early to start going to the career fair. That's looking at your more long-term employment prospects. So that's speaking with employers about what are they going to be looking for after graduation. The job fair is really going to be uh, one of the main leads for you for finding that summer employment. Um, we have career service. So those are opportunities where we're bringing employers to campus or allowing you to meet with the employers. In addition to that, you can meet with a career advisor. You can sit down. You can do personality tests with um, with our career counselors. They'll walk you through, you know, things such as a Myers Briggs test. They'll work with you on resume support and development. Your cover letter. We offer services such as mock interviews to get you prepared for that. But really, in the end, it is up to the student to try to find those leads. We can guide you on how to present yourself, on um, how to do research, how to find different industries. We have a job bank, for instance, where uh, jobs are posted. But then it is up to the student to put to use those skills that we've, um, we've given you. All right. So, Hillary, could you just talk a little bit about Ivy's alumni network? Sure. So the Ivy alumni network is very global, 30,000 strong with over 27,000 contactable alumni in 102 countries. In Canada, you're looking at over 21,000 in the U.S., uh, almost 2,500. Uh, definitely, there's an opportunity to connect with a wide variety of individuals across many sectors while you're in the program, as well as afterwards. I've heard from so many graduates of Ivy, whether it's the HBA or MBA program, that they're able to message an alumni in a given area um, maybe while they're traveling on an internship, they might have a new job, um, whatever brings them overseas, for example, and different parts of Canada. And that alumni is so um, gracious in their time and their uh, offering of uh, giving them insight into their own journey. So it's definitely a give back mentality. The pledge they take upon graduating reinforces that and what leadership means in uh, the long term picture as well. For sure. So the next question, Ivy's come to have a reputation of being really a target school in the finance and consulting, just generally high business space. 
So how much difference do you think that makes for students finding employment in that area? Uh, so I think that Ivy is one of the target schools because students are really prepared to go into different industries. So it's not just for finance and consulting, but also they're really well prepared to go into marketing roles or a bunch of different roles just based on electives as well as mandatory courses. I think the level of education is very high because we have such incredible professors that really care about teaching the students and all the extra clubs that we have, especially through Ivy. The network is impressive with all the different alumni. So I think just with some of those different aspects, that's why Ivy could be seen as one of the target schools for this. Uh, I'm going into finance and I think through the Ivy alumni program, I was able to find individuals who worked in the industry and I was able to network with them and kind of figure out what I was interested in going forward. So that was a huge uh, help going to find a job. I think as well, it's important to note the preference of business programs and structure uh, with us being a more unique structure, two plus two, it also comes back to fit. So again, you know, if you look at Gabrielle's example there, you can certainly find success in this field and other fields too, regardless of the program taking place in year three and four. When it comes to Ivy having that reputation of being a so-called target school in the finance industry, faculty, career management staff, they're really well-versed in these areas. So again, lots of preparation that students can do as well as by taking electives that are available to them, joining clubs. When you look at the centers and institutes at Ivy, there's research and expertise there that also really plays into it being a strong area. Um, more concretely, you could look at the HBA employment report each year, and you could see the success of students in their internships, jobs after graduating, and in the alumni network too, certainly. So that work in finance industry is among a top field in terms of graduates pursuing. Um, However, I think that students also are putting their best foot forward. You know, uh, students, they do receive uh, different kind of advising and, and guidance, sure, um, and have the opportunity to attend networking events and information sessions, but um, they really are encouraged to explore different interest areas. And then when they are going through the interview process, um, putting your best foot forward. There's a lot of work on the part of students as well as um, staff and faculty so that you feel nice and prepared. I think we'll be well known for certain fields um, and definitely in the past it's been you know finance consulting accounting but now especially with combined degrees and the emerging landscape of careers and education too just when you think of technology and the impact of all of that disruption this will continue to evolve so you know personally I'm excited to see where it goes but um, we're really proud of the students that graduate from the program it's amazing to see the things that um, students pursue and, and go into. For sure. And just wanted to follow up with you, Gabrielle. Have you ever done a summer internship? And if you have, what was your experience like? Yes, I have done a few summer internships. So in my first uh, two summers, I worked in tax. So that was very interesting. And I figured out that I was looking more towards the finance side, less accounting. But a really great experience uh, working in tax as well. And then this most recent summer, I worked in investment banking. And so I was able to figure out if that was right for me. It was definitely different uh, just due to coronavirus and 
the impacts that that has had over the summer. So with the virtual um, delivery of that program was a little bit different, but I really enjoyed it. And I was able to use a lot of what I learned in our first year programs in my summer job. So that was pretty interesting. And hopefully I'll be able to learn some more this year so I can use that for full time. All right. So now our last question for the section is, how many students get jobs upon graduation and how many continue with their education and pursue something like an MBA? So again, looking at the employment report, it's usually been around 96. I've been at Ivy for six and a half, almost seven years, and it's usually been 94, 95, 96% um, in terms of employment success following graduation. And definitely the high earning potential in the first six months out is what we report on just as a um, best practice or industry standard. HBA is a professional program and the tendency for students to complete an MBA right after. It's not um, there as much uh, as maybe other programs, which I know I can't speak to, but definitely the message we give students is that HBA is a really strong foundation. They're able to enter into a career and have uh, really great success in completing the HBA program. I think uh, in going back to do an MBA, students might be looking to pivot and switch industries or maybe uh, continue to advance in the present workplace that they're in and they see the benefit in going back, uh, connecting with uh, students, the alumni network, with faculty, and using it as um, a way to further develop. Uh, as well, we have an MBA program that is called MBA Direct. Uh, we actually have a few different MBA programs, but the one that I'll mention most relevant to HBA um, is the MBA Direct, um, and that allows students to complete their MBA in eight months, so it is accelerated at Ivy, and the reason for that is that they are covering a lot of material in the HBA program. Now we're going to transition to the last main section of the episode, focusing on admissions and uh, the financials of the program. So we're going to start by saying we're not going to go into any averages or marks. They're dynamic year by year. So we want to talk generally in broad terms about admissions to the program. And if you're wondering about specific marks, you can absolutely go on Ivy's website and all the information will be there. So first question, could you just provide a brief summary of the application process, both for students in province in Ontario and outside? Yeah, so I think I can handle this and maybe Hillary can add a little bit in about the supplemental application. So students, um, many students that go to Ivy the start in year three, the majority of them will come to Western for those first couple of years. They don't have to. I, uh, we can talk about that in a little bit. But for students from in Ontario, they'll apply as a 101 student to the Ontario University Application Center. They'll apply to any one of our undergraduate programs. And then in addition to that, on the OUAC website, they'll click a little tick box that says AEO. That is not their application. That is just a tick box. They then have to go over to the Ivy website and fill in an Ivy supplemental application by uh, mid-January. So there's those two parts of the application, the OUAC application and then the Ivy AEO application. Students from outside of Ontario, same process. Um, they'll just do the same process as a 105 applicant on the OUAC website. Uh, same same January deadline. Uh, as long as they are accepted to any one of those programs, their application is then passed over to Ivy. Um, after Ivy is no, um, we after Central Admissions lets Ivy know that yes, the student is admissible. Then I'll let I, uh, Hillary walk you through the rest of the process. Sure. So 
definitely they would need to have an offer from Western in order to uh, receive an AEO offer. Students have to apply to both, as Chris has covered, in terms of a program at Western and then the AEO application, submitting both is key. So you will hear back from both separately, always you'll hear back um, from us, regardless of the outcome for the consideration for an AEO offer. For us, the application is an opportunity for students to really tell us about the different things they've been involved in in high school. Typically it's from nine to 12. There are potentially some changes that we might be formally messaging this fall with respect to the number of extracurriculars that we wanna see that are required on the application. Um, however, I can say that it will be from grade eight to 12 in terms of just having a little bit more room to talk about extracurriculars, uh, nothing for credit. Uh, so things included would be sports clubs, volunteer, part-time work is usually the list that I give. And even an entrepreneurial endeavor is something that we really like to see too. It will be live at the end of September. Uh, you can create a profile anytime. Once it is live, I always recommend that students chip away at it until way closer to the deadline date. We won't be looking at it until after the holiday break, which I know it sounds very early to even mention that timeframe uh, because it is, but we really just want students to be able to reflect on what they're writing, um, be able to reach out to references ahead of time, give them um, a chance to see what they've written and how they're conveying their activities. My biggest recommendation when it comes to completing the supplementary application, yes, we're looking at grades, yes, we're looking at extracurriculars, 50-50. However, students really need to write their extracurriculars in an action-oriented way to really drive home the message of what they did, what they were involved in. So not the history of DECA, but how you were involved and how your years in DECA or your years as a camp counselor or your years as a lifeguard or your years... Uh, cutting grass in the neighborhood, you know, whatever it is, um, that you've taken on opportunities to really demonstrate your leadership. Again, it's not about being captain of this or president of that. It's really just being able to say that you've had responsibility, that you've been involved in um, things outside of school. It could be at your school, but just not for credit. I think other than that, um, again, you'll hear back separately from us. Our offers go out on a rolling basis from mid-March, mid-March through to mid-May. And we will be holding a variety of open sessions this fall that you can find on our website and register for under the Ivy Calendar page, as well as um, some sessions more geared towards the application itself. So I think that's probably all I would say about the supplementary app. Yeah, uh, actually, I was just going to ask about the changes related to COVID. And yeah, you, yeah. you really hit, hit that right on the nail. At our school, at least for quad one, clubs aren't allowed to run just right. because of scheduling and, you know, all that. So it's definitely going to be tough. And when it comes to COVID-19 and changes that, um, you know, the impacts on the application, because we are looking for student involvement, which most definitely is going to be a different experience across the board at different schools, um, school boards, and, you know, internationally as well. I think we really do recognize, again, we will more formally message this, but we do recognize that some can take their tutoring online, others might not be able to, some can still get involved in clubs that they were really looking forward to getting involved in, some places those clubs may simply not be running. So we do understand there are some constraints. Um, we still will look for that, that sort of involvement and that demonstration of leadership potential but it is uh, quite wide open in terms of how students want to convey that. So again, more details to come on that. For sure. 
Could you briefly describe how you weigh grades in relation to the supplementary application? So for the AEO supplementary application, as I mentioned, it is 50-50 with respect to extracurricular involvement as well as academics. If you take Ontario, for example, we're going to look at English in your next top five. In Alberta, it will be English in your next top four. Some provinces are the same, some are different with respect to the final, the, the total, let's call it overall average. So we will look at English and then the next top five, let's say in Ontario as an example. So we are looking for, I would say in the 90s, low 90s is a competitive average. Some years it could be high 80s, low 90s. It really depends on the applicant pool. Um, but that is definitely um, an important focus. We don't have a cutoff, however. So the other part to that are your extracurriculars. Someone could have really high grades um, and maybe the extracurriculars just weren't quite there to match that strength. So their competitive, competitiveness, competitiveness overall um, might not be as great as someone who has a slightly lower grade, but really strong extracurricular activities on their application. So that's that balance there. Um, also keep in mind that when you're applying to Western, whether it's main campus or Huron, Brescia, or Kings, if you're applying to a program that has specific requirements, if you take health sciences or engineering, um, BMOS, there will be specific required courses that you would need to complete in order to be considered. But for Ivy, for AEO consideration, we will take just English and then the next top, however many, based on the province that you're applying from. And could you briefly talk about uh, the tuition for Ivy in those last two years, as well as maybe the bursaries and scholarships available from the university for students looking for extra help in financing their degree? Sure. So right now, in terms of program cost, our tuition is about $25,000 per year. When you look at ancillary fees, it could be closer towards twenty-six, dollars but twenty-five dollars is what I would say is most accurate in terms of the tuition cost. We are considered a high-touch program uh, when you look at learning the supports in place. So that certainly um, is a factor here. Internship helps when students earn uh, money during the summer months. Um, this doesn't change during COVID-19 in terms of the efforts from faculty and staff and everyone in the Ivy community being put forward, um, as I know that question has come up. So when you look at instructional and teaching um, from a technical perspective, uh, the efforts are, are definitely there to match um, all the things that Ivy has always been really great at in terms of teaching and the learning experience. Um, when it comes to more specifically scholarships and bursaries, about 15 to 20% of students will receive a scholarship or award. So we do provide scholarships for a number of our students, thanks to individuals, it could be um, a corporate uh, backing or a foundation donor. All students who complete the apply for awards section of their HBA application, this is very important, if they want to be considered, they would need to complete this section. So it's called apply for awards. And then they'll be considered at that point for the over 1.2 million in scholarship and awards. So it's for Ivy, the structure is not really to apply um, specifically for individual awards. It's more um, once you've completed that um, apply for awards section, then you're considered for admission scholarships and awards. Uh, you might have merit, financial need, um, sorry, awards or both merit and financial need. And um, we actually have a really neat tool called the Award Finder. Um, it's on Ivy's site. So it really does allow students to explore the different areas of um, award consideration. Um, I think too, there are external awards and Chris might be more uh, you know, well-versed in this. And certainly at Western, there are 
uh, Western specific ones as well, but Student Awards and Scholarships Canada, that's a place as well that I'm aware of students looking more externally for being considered for awards. Uh, we do have a financial um, aid officer, so a role specifically at Ivy that supports students in applying for and being considered and that process with respect to if there's something more involved required, like an interview or a further, um, a further sort of a description or write-up that needs to be provided um, for consideration. And so just uh, more generally for pretty much any incoming student that has the AO status, they're going to have that 90% or higher average. They're automatically going to qualify right away for our $2,500 admission scholarship. And then student with a 92 or higher will get a $3,500 admission scholarship. Those are guaranteed for the first year. So almost everyone with AO is going to get one of those scholarships. Uh, then in addition to that, after you're done your first year, students, depending on which faculty they are, in could apply for what we call in-course scholarships. So if you're one of the top students in uh, one of your faculty or program, you can apply for those in your second year before you get to Ivy. For sure, good to know. So we do have one last question and it's one that we ask to all of our guests on every episode of the podcast. And uh, whoever wants to answer it, go ahead. Um, essentially just why Ivy Business School for undergrad? So I would say why Ivy for business uh, for your undergrad, I would say there's three reasons. So the first one is to create a network of your peers as well as the network with alumni, because that really helps you out not only in your career, but also your personal life uh, and anything that you're looking forward to doing in the next few years after you leave Ivy. I would say the second point would be the club involvement because the IVHBAA has a lot of clubs that you can get involved in based on your interests or what industry you're interested in going to. And I think third is the amount of support in the school. So that's in terms of professors or just other faculty members. And that's those individuals are not only at Ivy, but also at Western. Uh, so I think those are the three reasons of why Ivy. If I could maybe add to that, just from my own perspective, not a current student, but just in terms of meeting so many different students and parents and guidance counselors and teachers um, throughout the years. I think in terms of the why Ivy question, um, as a business program and as a faculty at Western University in London, it's, as I mentioned, it is really about fit. But when it comes to Ivy and HBA specifically, I think of the Ivy difference as really setting us apart. And I know that terminology is something that I ground any conversation in when I'm explaining the program to a student, maybe for the first time. Uh, it really values the diversity of students and all the different interest areas they wish to pursue. So that combined in the classroom setting and in the alumni network, it really shows. I think at our core, it's about leadership. I mean, that term is tossed around really often, I think at Ivy, um, it's having that really strong foundation in the way that you're going to operate and conduct yourself um, in the classroom, in your career, um, in the community more broadly. Um, we have a very large alumni network, 30,000 plus in Canada, in the States, overseas, and it's a very active alumni network as well. I appreciate also that there isn't one type of Ivy student. It's a real mix of backgrounds in the classroom and outside of school. Um, in their career interests. And I think really it's about continuing to maximize that potential during Ivy and afterwards. Um, but again, it just comes back to the difference um, in the program and those unique factors that really set us apart 
and make us, I would say, non-traditional. And at the risk of going off brand and giving you three completely different answers from three different folks in Western, I'll just, um, just my two cents and my perspective. And I think my perspective is not actually um, as a staff member, as a Western person, it's as a parent. And um, the big thing for, for me about Ivy, I think, is the effort they put into the alumni network and what they call a, a career management. So um, Hillary mentioned in the year she's been there, you know, she's seen that employment report put, you know, 96%, uh, 97% of students going on uh, to employment. I think that speaks to the strength of the program and the graduates um, that they are in such high demand when they graduate. And I think the other thing, in addition to the great uh, career prospects, are the dual degrees, um, so the combined degrees, the ability to now combine Ivy with law, Ivy with engineering, Ivy with um, economics. I think that's some of the big strengths of the program is taking that business degree and adding a little bit on. Awesome. So thank you all so much for coming on. We, we really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, Josh. Thanks for having us. Thanks. That's all the questions we have for today. Again, a huge thank you to our guests. Stay tuned for future weekly episodes with other universities and programs. Don't forget to share and follow us on Instagram at CCUG Podcast, and feel free to message us if you'd like to request or have questions for a program not yet covered. Until next week, that'll be all. Have a nice day, and we'll talk to you again soon.